Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our listeners joining us today. I am Will Heisentruitt, and this is Sometimes Baseball. Per usual, I am joined by writer, journalist, editor, broadcaster, former distinguished video coordinator, and my good friend, co-host, David Bourne. How you doing, Dave? Can't complain today. How are you, Will? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, special guest, we have David's longtime friend, Brad, joining the show. Dave, why don't you introduce Brad? All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brad and I have played baseball together for a really long time, probably from the time we were, what, fourth, fifth grade up through, uh, through high school. We were on the same high school team. Brad puts the short in shortstop, but he locks down the position <laughs> defensively. And uh, yeah, one of, one of my closest friends, we lived down the street and I don't know, we're always doing stuff together. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Brad. Fantastic introduction. I am short and happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yes, we are very excited to have Brad on. He is a Yankees fan. Apologies to those of you who hate the Eagle Empire, but he's going to be giving his take on that, as well as just joining the show for all that uh, we have to offer. <laughs> all right, we're going to run through the agenda. So we're going to start off, as always, with the What You've Been Thinking. And we're going to motor right along into the, into the Today in Baseball history, which is bringing about a topic on starting pitchers and our managers being too soft with pitchers now. Then we're going to jump into our takeaways and then get Brad's thoughts on the Yankees. And then we're going to have our draft of former Rookies of the Year who never panned out after the year 1999, so 2000 and up. So if that's confusing, don't worry about it. You probably won't be listening past that point anyway. And then we're going to have the trivia question, song lyrics or movie quotes, and the trending Twitter topic. If you have a trending trending Twitter topic that you want us to talk about, trivia you think can stub David or our guests, you can be a part of the show. All you have to do is reach out to us on either Instagram or TikTok. On Instagram, you can DM us at sometimes baseball. And on TikTok, you can reach us at sometimes.baseball. Additionally, if you like our logo, head on over to teespring.com slash store slash sometimes baseball. If you don't like any of the current designs, you can reach out to our email, which is, you guessed it, sometimes baseball at gmail.com. All right, David, what you been thinking? So New Jersey has been pretty tight on the pandemic restrictions over the last couple of months, but just opened up indoor dining and, uh, and gyms the other day. And I have not gone to either a restaurant or a gym since they've been open, but just driving through a shopping center the other day and seeing it filled with cars and seeing people <laughs> inside the restaurant sort of felt normal. And in a way... I liked it. Like, you know, I wasn't even partaking in any of the events going on, but just, I don't know, feeling normal again uh, felt pretty good. Yeah, geez. I, I'm, I'm sitting here watching movies when I see, like, all, like, the big scenes with, like, all the people. Like, it, it, I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, where are, like, your masks? Like, yeah. That's just, like, in, like, back of my head, kind of. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this was filmed in 2004. Like, who cares? But, yeah, it, it definitely seemed – cars and parking lots is definitely a new sense of this is different but it should be normal yeah and i think that's the weird part about it or i know like brad and i were talking one day now like when i turn on sports games or see highlights of old sports yeah, games exactly. and there's fans there it looks weird to me because yeah. i've gotten so used to uh watching with no fans that already like those clips even though they're only a year or two old it seems sort of I don't know, parallel to me or something. Yeah, like I saw um, like a clip of the Kawhi shot the other day and like seeing the crowd go nuts and everyone being so on top of the court, seeing the basketball <laughs> now, or like I'm a wrestling fan and like seeing wrestling crowds and now they have like nothing. It, it's crazy. It's it's weird with the crowd, like David said. Yeah. 
Yeah, today I watched the 30 for 30 entitled Catching Hell, and that's about like the Steve Bartman play. And that never would have happened this year. That yeah. won't happen this year. <laughs> Unless uh, some grounds crew members like, oh, I'm going to get this foul ball. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's definitely weird seeing old footage and be like, is that not late? Oh, yeah, that there was a time before all this. We were, we're about six months into it now. I think in March 12th, we're filming on September 10th. Crazy. Yeah, almost. But, yeah. Brad, what's uh, what you been thinking? So during this whole time, I've gotten really into grilling and cooking in the house. And so I assume we all like steak here, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. How do you like your steak? Medium rare. Medium rare. If I can cook it medium rare, it usually comes out well done (laughs) because I I don't want to accidentally undercook it. But yeah. (laughs) Dave? I'm a medium guy. Yeah, medium, medium rare. There should be a ban on people ordering steak that is cooked above medium because it is a crime to waste a good piece of meat and rob it of all of that good, juicy, tender flavor. So medium down, cool. Above medium, you don't deserve to eat steak. Got to get rid of it. Got to be out. Look, I agree with you, but when I'm cooking, I have no sense of how long it should be on, how hot (laughs) it should be. It always comes out either rare or well done, and I can't find a medium. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I've just done it so much, I've eventually just figured it out, but... Like, if you ever go, like, I, I don't go to restaurants at this point, but if people do and they order something purposely above medium, like, no, shame, shame. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I don't I feel like it's a waste. Burgers got to be medium. Steaks got to be medium rare. I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's like the rule of thumb. Yes. <laughs> and, like, the waiters do, like, double takes. Like, wait, you want a steak medium well? Like, what? No. I went to a restaurant with a person once, like, two years ago, and the person got well-done steak and asked for a side of ketchup. And I, mm, I I came very close to just walking out of that restaurant. Is this person hopefully no longer in your life? Or? No, they're not. They're not. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All, right. All right, that's a good thought. I like it. Uh, here's mine. So I heard someone say, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread the other day. Uh, I forget the context, but it doesn't matter. So, But my thought went to how many things have easily beaten sliced bread in recent history. So I thought it would be fun if we could brainstorm something to replace that saying. Uh, some potential ones that I thought of could be, that's the best thing since Bluetooth connections. Like, if you think about it, like, how does that even work? I don't know. That's the best thing since the Snuggie. That's the best thing since the wireless mouse. Or that's the best thing since sometimes baseball. That was going to be mine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but any, any ideas from you guys? <laughs> Maybe since YouTube was created, YouTube's the best way to kill time and just find anything you need to see or learn or whatever. I don't know. That's true, yeah. Like, if you don't know how to do something, go to YouTube. (laughs) Uh, Since sometimes baseball sounds pretty nice to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I mean, the bar is pretty low at sliced bread, so I think sometimes baseball fits in right nicely with that. (laughs) Has the same sound, too, the S. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Place bread, SB. Yes. Let's go, <laughs> SB. Thanks, DB. All right, uh, we're going to move on to today in baseball history. September 10th, 2016, Rich Hill throws seven perfect innings against the Marlins, but is pulled by Dodgers manager Dave Roberts because of concern over a previous blister problem. Joe Blanton takes over in the eighth, but after two outs, he gives up a single to Jeff Francoeur. Dee Gordon has another single with two outs in the ninth, but the Dodgers win five to nothing. Also in this game in the seventh inning, Yasiel Puig 
had kept Hill's bid alive with a superb diving catch, depriving Martin Prado of a likely extra base hit. It's the second time in that season that Roberts removes a pitcher with a no-hit bid going late in a game, having done the same to rookie Ross Stripling back in April. So what are your thoughts on this? Are managers being too soft with their pitchers now? I think yes and no. I think when it comes to no-hitters and perfect games, I think unless it's an egregious amount of pitches, you got to let the guy in, and if the first hit happens, just yank him right away. But I think there are a lot of benefits to restricting pitch counts and innings eaten over the course of the season. Um, so I, I, I think yes and no. It really just depends on the circumstance and the context, really. Uh, for context, he only had 89 pitches through seven innings. Yeah, that, that – no. He's got to stay in. He's got to stay yeah. in. Yeah. They were like 80 and 50. They were well on their way to winning that division. You can have like a six-man rotation at that point. You can give him those extra off days. And I don't know, just the context of it all, it was one of the most ridiculous managerial seasons I've seen in a while. David, thoughts? In this Tommy John era that we're in, I think it's sort of – it's a tough decision to make just because – like Brad said, you know, you want to see him go the full nine and 89 pitches isn't a lot at all. But at the same time, Rich Hill's a guy who's been a little banged up. You know, he's sort of on the older side. His, he's had some arm issues as well. It's it's really weird. I, I think you have to be cautious. But yeah, in, in that situation, I definitely think it's too cautious. Yeah. And, and like this, just thinking about Rich Hill, it's like this is probably the only time he's ever going to do that ever again. Like, I know he went nine no-hit innings against the Pirates. but then I was there. He, he, yes, David was there. Yeah. <laughs> and then gave up a walk-off homer to Josh Harrison. In the 10th, in the yes. He threw nine no-hit innings and got a loss. Terrible. One of the only times the Dodgers did not score a run. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're ridiculous. But, yeah, I, I just – I don't know, man. Like, I'm seeing in this season – like, guys are getting pulled with, like, 65 pitches. I'm like, what is going on? I was watching the Yankees-Blue Jays game last night. Tanner Roark threw four innings. He only gave up two runs. He was at, like, 65 pitches or something, and they pulled him. The guy they brought in immediately gives up three runs. And it's like, like, <laughs> like I, I don't know, like, use your eyes. Like, I know, like, the stats say third time through the order, the guy's probably not as effective, but – the guy was matching numbers with Davey Garcia. I, I, I don't know. I, I think people are being too soft with the starters now. I think also – the future of baseball, I think. All right, here, Brad, I'll, I'll give you a shot in one second. But, I, like, just the way it's trending, it looks like, you know, starters are going to go five and the bullpen is going to throw the rest of the game. And I think it's, it's weird for sure, but it's something we're going to have to get used to. And I think also with that, like you said, I agree. And I think also what needs to reflect that is the teams – the investments that teams make into their bullpens – you know, a lot of times we find, like, the Nationals in the last few years, they're this great team, and it comes to the trade deadline, and their bullpen is barren, spare parts. And teams are just throwing tons and tons of relievers out there a game, and their bullpens are just not suited to hold that consistently. So whether it's not getting too cute in free agency or developing more arms specifically tailored to bullpens, I think that might be something that we see or need to see teams do is just make greater investments in having – large quantity of relievers that are actually good to sustain that short leash for the starters. Mm -hmm. And I think this was actually one of the first topics David and I ever talked about on this show was if you can have starters piggyback off each other, like this guy goes five, this guy goes four, 
or this guy goes four, this guy goes four, and the closer comes in or whatever. And so, and then you make it into four day rotation. So like you're pitching every fourth day instead of every fifth day because guys are going shorter and they know that. I don't know, but definitely the most valuable relievers out there are the ones that can go two innings or more, like a Josh Hader or uh, his teammate, Devin Williams. I don't know if you've seen that guy. <laughs> 17 innings this year, 35 strikeouts. <laughs> his changeup is a pitching coach's dreams, and it's too bad the Brewers probably aren't going to make the playoffs because that guy would, just be, would be a lethal weapon for them. But – Definitely trending in the direction of going away from starting pitching. And they're going to keep get, uh, getting paid more and more, pitching less and less. Yeah. Yeah. So you were not, we're probably not going to see another Max Scherzer for ever. <laughs> for like 300 game winners, that was a big threshold. Like that's not going to be a big thing moving forward, you know? Nope. Because guys are only going four innings. So you can't even, you don't even qualify for the win. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know. It's all very. Interesting the way the sport's going, but teams are going to find a way to put the best efficient roster out there on the field. And yeah, I don't know. Baseball is ever changing. I like it. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to takeaways from the sixth week of the season. We're getting down to it. Brad, let's hear a takeaway from you. So my takeaway is, and this is apropos because of how they are um, situated in the playoff hunt, now starting a seven-game series against the Phillies that very well could decide either their season or the Phillies' season or both one way or another. My takeaway isn't necessarily confined to just this past week or this season. It's kind of looking forward. And I know the Padres are going to just be a force to be reckoned with for the coming years. But I think we need to be looking at the Miami Marlins as a team to watch in the entirety of the league over the next five years. I get very strong Theo Epstein rebuild Chicago Cubs vibes from them in terms of they have this large group of hitters. They have some pitchers. Obviously, Sixto Sanchez is an ace. He looks like a Cy Young pitcher. But they have a ton of quantity of hitters. You would think over the last few years, since they didn't spend much money, they'd have money to spend in the future. But I think they have six top 100 prospects. We're starting to see them kind of come into the majors this year. And if they had Zach Allen, I mean, this might be perhaps one of the best teams in the National League, period. So. I think within the next two to three years and sustained over the next five years, Miami Marlins are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the National League. Yes, 100%. Yes. <laughs> and you mentioned the Zach Gallon trade. Um, they traded Zach Gallon to the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for Jazz Chisholm. Yeah. I was floored by that deal. I was like, I don't care if this prospect has a higher ceiling. Like, Zach Gallon is putting up numbers for you guys, and you're just going to deal him away. I didn't mind it at the time, but now, oof. Like, as good as the Chisholm, let's say Chisholm hits, like, what, 280, hits 20 homers, and gets 80 RBIs a year. Zach Allen is a genuine Cy Young candidate right now, you know? Mm -hmm. He set a record for consecutive starts with less than three earned runs allowed. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But, yeah, like, he was dealing last year when nobody cared about the Marlins, yeah. <laughs> and now people are starting to – care about the Marlins and he's dealing for a team that has like 15 wins but overall their starting nine could be one of the most lethal starting nines over the next five years uh, they yeah. do have all those prospects including Jazz Chisholm <laughs> I'll give them that and then if they could throw some money out of the starting pitcher a la Clevenger maybe a Trevor Bauer for a year <laughs> I don't know 
they're going to be a fun team to watch. For sure. David, thoughts on them having a potential impact on the Phillies postseason? <laughs> and in um, general? <laughs> number one, I'm, I'm just excited to watch how this seven-game series unfolds. That's got to be the first regular season seven-game series ever, right? Or at least in a long time. Uh, I saw Jason Stark tweeted out. It's like the first one since like 1948 or something. All right, I- I'm counting that as the first one. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> It's also pretty remarkable how well they did in those Yelich, Stanton, Ozuna trades. And at the time, it seemed like, wow, they're, you know, they're ditching all these big all-stars, MVP candidates, this, that, and the other. And it doesn't really look like they got that much back. But when you look at their roster now, a large amount of those guys are contributing to it. And they've made the right additions on top of that. Jesus Aguilar looked like it was a guy they were signing just so they could hopefully, you know, revive and trade. He's playing well, and he's contributing to the postseason run. Corey Dickerson, something similar. So, yeah, um, you could tell the scouting department's on the ball there, and it's just a matter of how far they can take it. Uh, well, they don't have a scouting department. Derek Jeter fired all of them. <laughs> <laughs> basically, they just like the Yankees mid-level. I think it's like Michael Hill. He used to be with the Yankees. is running it there. But like you said, Marcelo Zuna, I think they got Zach Gallen and Monte Harrison for Marcelo Zuna. Like, that's great. Louis Zuna didn't pan out. But Stan trade, I even think just getting off of his full contract was a really significant value regardless of what they got back, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one I think they're going to be patting themselves on the back on for a while. (laughs) For the Uh, next eight years or however long it uh, it lasts for. Yeah, she's. I'm looking up the Marcelo Zuna trade now. I Just, think uh, Alcantara came in that one, too. Yes, wow. yes. And uh, Sierra, Magneria Sierra. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I might have butchered his first name. And they've made some pretty decent draft picks, too. Like, they got um, the outfielder from Vanderbilt last year, uh, J.J. Bidet. They got uh, Max mm-hmm. Meyer this year, who they were talking about putting him on the team right away. Or I think he's definitely in their 60-man pool. So, I don't think it will take that long for them to really get to a point where – you know, they're challenging the Braves at the top of the division consistently. They already are. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) year in and year out, hopefully longer season, you know. Yeah, okay, so here's the full trade. Uh, Marlins acquired pitcher Sandy Alcantara, pitcher Daniel Castano, Zach Gallen, and Magnuris Garcia. Magnuris? Yeah, something like that, Sierra. (laughs) And then they turned Zach Gallon into Jazz Chisholm. So they essentially got two pitchers and two hitters out of that. Yes, the J.J. Blade, I'm excited for him. I think his ETA is 2022, maybe 2021. I think he was was a college guy, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they are going to be dangerous. And the Braves, they need all their prospects to pan out as well um, in order to keep their reign. <laughs> but I don't know. I- I'm excited for that. That's a good takeaway. Thanks. David, what's your takeaway? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The Cleveland Indians, my Cleveland Indians, are <laughs> right at the top of the AL Central, and they're legit. Not enough people were talking about the Cleveland Indians heading into the season. As of 8:24 on Thursday, they are 26-17, and 17. One game behind the White Sox for the division lead. The pitching is there. The hitting is just good enough. Hopefully, Frankie Lindor can get it going a little bit more. But in a shortened season and with these wonky playoffs, I think the Cleveland Indians are a force to be reckoned with. Yes, the Cleveland Indians. I I think the reason people weren't picking them to do anything was it it was just like they've gotten – they've seen the Cleveland Indians. They they know, like, they've seen it before. It's like, all right – they're not going to do it again. Like, 
Do it again. <laughs> but, yes, they are. Yeah, the pitching is there. And I think the biggest concern going into the season was hitting. And the fact that they're winning all these games and Francisco Lindor isn't Francisco Lindor yet, wow. <laughs> Watch out. And they were winning – we talked about the pitching. I mean, Cy Young, Shane Bieber, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. And then it, It's a guarantee at this yeah. point. <laughs> and then Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak were out for so long, and it really didn't even make a difference, you know. And I thought they got a pretty decent return – not a great return, but a decent return for him that they can use in lots of different areas all over the field. So – I agree. I'm a huge White Sox guy, but you can't deny that just based on pitching alone, the Indians are going to be a very tough playoff matchup. Yeah, I Aaron's... wouldn't put them in that three-game set to start the playoffs. No, you're yeah. picking them. Give me anybody else. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Savali stepped up huge for them, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is shocking. But like, because he was like a bullpen guy for a while. Yeah, the Clevenger deal they traded him, and that I, I think it'll work just because of the way Cleveland chooses to spend money. Getting the most amount of players makes a lot of sense. And they got Lindor's replacement. (laughs) Yeah. So my takeaway was going to be Devin Williams from the Brewers is ridiculous. But now after seeing what the Atlanta Braves did yesterday, it's going – it just cemented how ridiculous the baseballs are this season. Like what is up with these baseballs? They are flying. I don't know if you guys saw the highlight of Acuna hitting the pop-up that the announcers said he hit a pop-up and it went over the center field fence. The ball went 415 feet. Are you kidding me? Like Adam Duvall has not one, but two, three Homer games within a week. Like, come on. Like guys are hitting opposite field home runs. Like it's nobody's business. I, I saw somebody hit a ball uh, in San Francisco to like the triangle where it's like 436 feet away in right center field. Like guys are hitting bombs to center bombs to right field or left field, whatever, opposite way. Like, like it's nobody's business. Like, the ball is ridiculous this year. The Braves are scoring, like, nine runs a game. Yeah, um, I'm, with, I'm with you that something is up there. I could definitely see it happening. And I guess what Trevor Bauer put together that, like, crazy study last season and said something <laughs> about the balls and this, that, and the other. And he's much smarter than I am, so I, I probably can't judge it. But I'm also just wondering if people are getting too big for the stadiums and, and too strong. You know, like, with every pitcher throwing 98 and every hitter being built like a linebacker, like, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if the stadiums need to get bigger. Huh. When you think about it, right, what they always say in sports is the next generation of players is what, bigger, stronger, faster, and we're actually seeing that in baseball for hitters and pitchers. And then I feel like also it's – every season there's some sort of controversy with the baseballs. Like, every year it feels like at this point one way or another. So there's something fishy going on, but – Personally, I find it entertaining, so I'm cool with it. Yeah, no, it's definitely entertaining. And and I guess it's also funny to see how, like, yes, people are hitting home runs like it's nobody's business, but there's also a lot of pitchers with, like, a sub-2 ERA. Yeah. I guess it's that weird, like, home run or bust approach everybody has. Like, you know, we don't care if you strike out as long as we hit a dinger in our other (laughs) at-bat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and so that's why you're seeing the exploding strikeout totals, the exploding home run totals. Teams need to start pushing their fences back. And what I've seen, though, is teams putting the fe- pulling the fences in. I don't know if you know what City Field looks like in New York. Yeah. They have, like, the M&M porch. That, that used to be in play. Yeah. Like that, yes, you used to hit it over that to hit a homer. And then Miami, they moved the fences in. Uh, Colorado, it seems like every year they add, like, another eight feet to the top of their walls. 
I, I don't know. It, it definitely something needs to happen because it's – but, yeah, dingers for days. They could do what uh, the Korean League did and public, publicly declare that they're de-juicing the balls <laughs> to try to make it harder. I remember it's ESPN really hard. placing emphasis on that uh, at the beginning of the Korean season. Yeah, I think yeah. that about – yeah, I, I think we've uh, touched on that. So now we're going to get Brad's thoughts on the Yankees. So what is up with the Yankees? They are fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, so I think right now we're at – lost 15 of the last 21. We've had – Injured list stints from Aaron Judge twice. If the world had not gone to crap and the season was normal, he would have missed multiple months to begin. Giancarlo Stanton was mashing, but I should have known that, you know, an injury was not far off. Urshel is on the I.L. now. Torres was playing poorly. He went on the I.L. Mayhew was on the I.L. James Paxton had a terrible start. He's on the I.L. And then I think you just look at it. The strength of the team is supposed to be in two things. It's supposed to be in their – incredibly deep lineup, and it's supposed to be in their stable, sturdy back end of the bullpen. Adam Adovino had a poor playoffs last year. His ERA now is around seven, and you don't know when he comes in the game whether his slider is going to be filthy or he's going to hang it and give up a bunch of runs, like we saw the other day with a 10-run inning. Uh, Chad Green has been weirdly inconsistent. Zach Britton's probably been their best of those guys, but even he's blown a few games. have been overly impressed with Chapman. Canely's got Tommy John, or had to get Tommy John. Jonathan Holder's hit or miss, even though he scored a pinch run, game-winning run. That was awesome. Um, but then looking at the team offensively, you know, I, I think I chalk up a lot of it really to just the injuries they've dealt with. You know, the Gary Sanchez thing, I am a Gary Sanchez supporter, but even I recognize that if he had options, he'd be in AAA right now, and you can't be having that from what's supposed to be a top eight, five catcher in the league. Mike Ford not having a good year. Luke Voigt is a beast, but he can't. Him and Clint Frazier can't carry a team offensively. You should not be asking those two guys to carry the team offensively. As much as I love Clint Frazier, who does not need motivation from articles that are written, that can't be happening. Brett Gardner looks kind of washed. Torres needs to get back on track. It, the problem here is just what's supposed to be the strengths of the team are not the strengths of the team. And then we look at the starting pitching. Garrett Cole. He gives up runs only when he gives up home runs, but he's given up a lot of home runs. And if he's not going to be the anchor of their rotation, they already have a pretty, you know, eh, rotation as is, where once angry, now happy Jay Happ is now a beast, but they can't score enough runs for him when, to win games. And number five starter Jordan Montgomery is the stable starter now. Like, you're not going to win at the top of the division, the top of the American League, with all of those things. So now we're looking at Davey Garcia has to be the savior now. And despite all this negativity, though, I'm not terribly concerned because I think a lot of these things are just like slump type things rather than indicators of what's actually the level of talent of the team. And I still think they're a difficult playoff matchup, but you know, things aren't too positive. I'm not overly negative, but I am concerned in what are supposed to be the two strengths of the team. Yeah, I think the team talent-wise – it holds up over a 162-game stretch. You know, like, their lineup, it's a lineup of attrition. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, you have to face nine above-average big league hitters yes. if they're all healthy. And so, like, you cannot sustain that <laughs> unless you are throwing a near-perfect game. Like, you're not missing a spot. And then with the bullpen, like, it's a bullpen that you should not be able to run together a bunch of hits, run, 
put a bunch put a bunch of base runners on in a row. Like that's not how that works in a sixty game season, though, and that that's a concern, I think, with the Yankees. So each loss is highlighted by the shortened season. If this was a hundred and sixty two game stretch, I'd have no problem with them making the playoffs. <laughs> but now it's a major concern, and I think people are starting to get nervous. I don't know, but you don't sound too nervous. And I do think they are still a tough playoff matchup. It's also yeah. lining up at the worst time it could be with the Rays' absolutely torrid stretch where they're just on this ridiculous string of games that no one is really talking about because I think the Yankees losing so many games has taken the media's attention away from the Rays winning so many games. And, you know, the Rays keep climbing higher and the Yankees keep falling lower. Brad touched on it with the injuries. Their lineup looks like the scranton wilkes uh, Bear, you know, Rail Riders or whatever they're called with uh, a couple major league talents in there. And it's just a matter of when can they figure it out. Yeah, I kind of look at it as this is going to date me here. In 1963, the Yankees called up Mel Stoudemire and they were out of a playoff spot and he came in and dominated and they won the pennant. Davey Garcia's got to be Mel Stoudemire now for them to – not fall behind Toronto like they already have, and Steve, they have to save off Baltimore at this point, you know? I will say as an aside, though, Tampa, they're my World Series pick at this point in time. Yeah, and first off, I have a couple points. First, Brad, you said this is going to age me a bit, and then you mentioned 1963 as if you were there. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just a nerdy thing. I don't know. Long words. <laughs> No, no, I'm just making sure that you're not some time traveler. I like it. All right. And then, David, you said nobody cares about the Rays. It's because they don't have a superstar. And that's yeah. – but that's how the Rays are built. They are deep and talented, and you will not know their names. <laughs> and that's how they win ball games. and they don't care who, what anybody thinks. <laughs> nope. Low budget, ragtag, going to win a lot of games. Yep. That's how we like it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, so – is Tanaka healthy? Because I think he's probably your best bet in a, in a playoff spot. Yeah, playoff Tanaka is great. And during the regular season, he's, I think, a really solid number three. But, yeah, I mean, he's been good. But, again, he shouldn't be relied on to have to be playoff Tanaka for this team to succeed when you have what should be a, you know, dominant best pitcher in the league, Garrett Cole, who has actually been good, except for home runs. But he's just given up so many of them. And I was texting David about this the other day. You know, he mentioned the thing about how Garrett Cole in the uh, – he was talking – he sounded like, concerned talking about tipping pitches and whatnot in the press conference that he did. I guess it must have been like a week ago at this point. So, I don't know. It's just not great vibes you're getting from Garrett Cole at this point. And the pitching not being there in the playoffs would be the most concerning thing. So, again, I'm not overly concerned or overly nervous, but it does not feel like their year at all. Very easily it does not feel like their year at all. Like, this could even be, like, the Blue Jays here. Like, anything could happen. Like <laughs> You can also look at it, like, I remember before the season, I forget the numbers offhand, but they put last year's season, as far as who would have made the playoffs after like 60 games or whatever, mm-hmm. the Nationals wouldn't have even made the playoffs last year. Oh, they were horrible. They were yeah. 19 and 31 through 50 games. Yeah. They're horrible. Yeah. They're worse than, I, well, no, they're worse this year, but... <laughs> 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 I don't want to make it sound like I'm a, oh, this season doesn't count Yankees fan, because I'm not, because that's just, an, that's just a, an excuse to get out of worrying about them. But I don't know. It's just something you can look at as far as analyzing where they're at this point in the season. Yeah, no, I agree. The season definitely counts. It counts for a lot of people. <laughs> like, they would not be there if it doesn't count. 
Absolutely. It counts. <laughs> and winning a championship will mean a lot for these guys moving forward. Yeah, so hopefully the for your sake <laughs> and your sanity, the Yankees can pull it all together. I'm hoping the Nationals lose every game from here on out to try and get that number one pick. <laughs> Tank for Kumar. <laughs> or uh, Jack Leiter, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, Al Leiter's son. Yankees drafted him in like the 37th round, and he did not sign, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think – didn't he go to Vandy or – Yeah. You know? All of them do. Yeah, that, to be fair, yes. You could have just put $100 down and asked if he went to Vandy, and it would have been a pretty safe bet. Alma <laughs> mater of Yankees legend Sonny Gray. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think red Sonny Gray is a lot better than Yankees Sonny Gray. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. All right. <laughs> Moving on to the highly anticipated draft of the former Rookies of the Year who never panned out. So, Brad being our guest, take it away. First selection. All right. So for my first selection in the September 10th, 2020 Rookies of the Year since 2000 draft, I will take Giovanni Soto, the 2008 Rookie of the Year catcher for the Chicago Cubs. And I remember during that, those, like, mid-2000s years, the Cubs always had these big, mashing right-handed hitters, like Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez and Michael Barrett. And, like, Giovanni Soto was, like, the next wave of that. And not only was he rookie of the year that year, but he was an all-star. I want to say he was close to the top 10 in MVP voting. He was a good fielder. He hit for average. I want to say he hit over 20 home runs. He played 140 games. Everything you could want out of a catcher. He never played more than 120 games in a season. His average was under 200 within four years. He got suspended for uh, testing positive for weed at the World Baseball Classic in 2009. Jeez. It all went downhill, and he was out of the league when he was 34 years old in 2017. So to go from that great rookie year to have the sophomore slump, but then the sophomore slump was the rest of his career, to basically become an injury-riddled journeyman, like, this guy was Salvador Perez before Salvador Perez, and it just didn't work out. So, Giovanni Soto is my first pick in this draft. Yeah, and surprisingly, he actually made $21 million in his career, but he only put together 12 wins above replacement. <laughs> he actually made an all-star team um, in his rookie year, and he finished 13th in MVP voting, which is really bad. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it all kind of went down after that. He had a year where he hit one home run, so that about sums that up. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy, man. It must have been terrible to go from that to what it became. Poor guy. Yes, definitely somebody that left you wanting more after his rookie campaign. David, who's your first pick? Uh, you take us away real quick because my Google Doc with information just closed. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay. I'm going to take Andrew Bailey. 2009 AL Rookie of the Year for the Oakland Athletics. Wow. Um, <laughs> his rookie year, he went 6-3 and three as a reliever. He uh, took part in 68 games, finished 54 of them, and had 26 saves in 83 innings pitch. His ERA was 1.84, which is absurd in any year. This play took place in 2009, as I mentioned. He was an all-star, and by the time he was 33, out of the league. His ERA 
plus went down the twos pretty quick. <laughs> he was a 239 ERA plus, and it was all the way down to 61 by 2012 with Boston. And this is a guy that was just like, wait, whatever happened to Andrew Bailey? Because <laughs> that was a guy that was kind of like a household name for like two years. And then, yeah, it just went way down after that. So, yeah, rookie year, 26 saves. Sophomore year, 25. Third year, 24. And then you never got more than eight after that. A really weird Andrew Bailey story is that my next door neighbor's co-worker is Andrew Bailey's mom. <laughs> so if the world ever needed an, uh, an Andrew Bailey exhibit in a museum, I could provide it because I have so much Andrew Bailey merchandise <laughs> that, that the average baseball fan would not believe it. It was pretty cool for, for that time stretch. Like, when he first came up, we were rooting, or I was rooting, for Brad Ziegler, the A's closer to start the year, to keep blowing saves <laughs> because Andrew Bailey was getting the save opportunities after he was blowing the game. So I was a huge Andrew Bailey fan. He was going to be one of my picks if, uh, if nobody else took him. Sheesh. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah, so we got the Babe Ruth Museum in Baltimore. We got the Roberto Clemente Museum in Pittsburgh. And we got the Andrew Bailey Museum in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could easily – I've got a bobblehead, uh, a rookie of the year poster with his autograph. If, there, if some, Andrew Bailey could autograph something, I probably have it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, so that, that's a guy that always left you wanting more. But, yeah, David, who's your, do you have your Google Doc back open? Oh, yeah, back open. And I had my clear answer. I just needed some of the stats. Dontrell Willis, he did, not, he did not flame out as quickly as some of the others did. But I remember Dontrell Willis is, like, one of the first baseball players I can remember that isn't on the Phillies. And it was just because he had that high leg kick and he was so dominant. Yeah. He, he mowed down the Yankees in the World Series that one year, right? Which is the same year he won the Rookie of the Year. Mm -hmm. And come on, you can't not like Don Trevelos. He hit home oh, run yeah. also. <laughs> He's <laughs> chugging out triples. like <laughs> Yeah, his nickname was the D-Train. I don't know. Everything about Don Trevelos was cool. He wore his hat like all sideways. <laughs> I love Don Trevelos. He was awesome. Yeah, just for stats' sake, to give you an idea of how quickly it fell off. Rookie year, 160 innings pitch. Second year, 197. Third year, 236. Fourth year, 223. Fifth year, 205. And then after that, he never got above 75 innings. Wow. And he was out of the league at 29. I remember when he got old now, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, his rookie year, he was 21 in 2003. So, yeah, now he – Not even 40. He's 38. Um, yeah. What known? Uh, I see him uh, pop up uh, on commenting on Instagram. What? I think he was an analyst for um, Fox Sports. Yeah, I think you're right. He might have been on MLB Network. It was either Fox Sports or MLB Network. I think he was an analyst. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But I see him uh, commenting all the time on MLB posts. <laughs> I remember when the Marlins traded him and Miguel Cabrera for basically Cameron Maben and spare parts. Like the baseball world was just – aghast at such a trade <laughs> yeah yeah it was his first year in Detroit where he only threw 24 innings um I guess he got hurt but yeah definitely a first round selection for sure unfortunately yeah. uh, Brad back to you all right so with my second pick I am going to go with the 2010 American League Rookie of the Year at All-Star in 2010 Neftali Feliz Neftali so when I think of Neftali Feliz 
And you think of the Rangers from that period in time where oh, yeah. they kept making the World Series. They couldn't quite win it. I mean, Neftali Feliz was pitching when David Freeze had the David Freeze game and Nelson Cruz was too far in. Like they had Elvis Andrews and Cliff Lee and all those guys. Neftali Feliz was a stud. Stud. Looking at it now, his strikeouts for nine in his rookie year was almost 10. But then the Rangers did the thing where, like the Yankees did with Jabba and the Reds tried to do with Chapman where they said, oh, let's make him a starter. Right? They always teams like to do that with the hard throwing relievers that come in for one inning and dominate. I don't understand that. But then within a few years, he got Tommy John and he was out of the league by the time he was 29 years old. He had a weird, like, good year out of nowhere with the Pirates like four or five years ago. But he should have been the best reliever in the league for like 10 years. But he was out of the league within seven. And I think really, you know, the Tommy John obviously hurt. I think trying to move him to starter obviously hurt. But that weird year with the Pirates, just looking through his baseball reference, kind of got me because it was random and out of nowhere, and I have no recollection of it. But Neftali Feliz was a stud, and it's a shame that he did not pan out and be the dominant reliever he was destined to be. Yeah, so I always – I'm surprised I didn't see this because my notion of Neftali Feliz was, oh, this guy is really good because in 2010 and 2011 when they were in the World Series uh, – he had 40 and 32 saves, respectively. Yep. And then, like you said, they tried to put him in a starter role. He started seven games in 2012, and it went off the rails. Uh, granted, he had a 3-1-6 ERA. Um, I think he got hurt, though. And yeah. That, yeah, and that's where the Tommy John came in because he only had four innings the next year. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 he really never recaptured that fire. In 2015, he had a 6-3-8 ERA. But, yeah, definitely – like you said, all the promise was there. He's saving games at 22 years old, 40 of them. <laughs> and yeah. He could have gotten to free agency before 30, which would have gotten him a huge money deal. Oh, huge money. <laughs> yeah. It's really also just a shame those Rangers teams never won a World Series. They were so good. Oh, yeah. Giants and Cardinals took away glory. <laughs> all right. Here's my second round selection. I'm going to go with Jeremy Hellickson, 2011 AL with the Tampa Bay Rays. <sighs> um, yeah, in his re- <laughs> I don't know. It just like he's been pitching for a while, but it's just never been good. Like, <sighs> rookie of the year at 24 years old, 295 ERA and 189 innings, 189 innings pitch. And then, like, he had the innings for counting stats' sake, but there was just never any consistency there. It was all above 4-5 for a, a lot of it. Finished with a career 4-1-3 ERA. I don't know what he's doing now. He was on the Nats last year and then quickly got bumped. And, yeah, he's 33, and I don't even know if he has a roster spot. I give Jeremy Hellickson a lot of credit for pitching one half-decent season with the Philadelphia Phillies and working a $17 million contract <laughs> out of that one half season. Get that qualifying offer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, like he, he made $35 million. The Phillies made such career. a mistake not trading him that year. I know they had the idea of, oh, we can qualifying offer him and get a draft pick, which didn't happen. They traded him the year after. I don't remember what they got. It wasn't that great. But they, there's no reason they should not have traded him that year. That was a big mistake. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're hoping he wouldn't take that qualifying offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, next selection. This is the only rookie of the year can, or selection I've ever been salty about 
for that reason alone, he is going to be my my second pick. And that is the 2009 Rookie of the Year, Chris Coglin from the Florida Marlins. And the only reason why I'm still angry about that to this day is because he beat out Jay Happ from the Phillies, who was absolutely filthy that season. And uh, it's funny that this is the topic at hand because the other day I saw a tweet to what random Philadelphia sports moment are you unnecessarily angry about still? And I was going to say Chris Coughlin winning the Rookie of the Year over Jay Happ, and multiple people in the replies also picked that. <laughs> so with the topic at hand, I figured it was time to rant about Chris Coughlin. I'm not even going to recite the stats, but I am going to recite Jay Happ's from the 2009 season because he was absolutely filthy. So give me one second here, and we will pull that up. Yeah, uh, just for voting's sake, uh, Chris Coughlin got 17 first-place votes. Jay Happ got 10. Chris Coughlin's going to be my next pick here. Yeah. I've debated picking him with mine. (laughs) 2009 Jay Happ, 2.93 ERA, 12-4 record. Of course, that was a pretty solid Phillies team. But Jay Happ was filthy. 166 innings as a rookie. Give me that any day of the week. I will take that over Chris Coughlin. Yeah, the whip looked really good. Um, <laughs> one, two, three, five. Uh, but literally the only reason I think Chris Coggan was selected was because of his 321 batting average. Mm-hmm. That's really all it was. Yeah, I'm still going to be annoyed about it. He could have hit 400 and I was going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's funny how multiple people still have that on their mind. Yeah, <laughs> and like that – it was just funny because the, the uh, category was random Philly sports things, you know, that you're unnecessarily angry about. And that was going to be my pick. And I guess there's other people who feel as strongly about it as I do. So, uh, yeah, shout out to, uh, to Jay Happ. Yeah, I- I'll put uh, money on that the most common reply was the ball bouncing four times on the rim and still going in. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, oh, I know. I was there watching it with you. Yeah. <laughs> It'll always be too soon. Always, always. But that's good. Anytime David can take some shame, I'll, I'll, I'll dish it out. <laughs> All right, Brad, third selection. All right, my third selection, I'm going with the early 2000s here. And I am going with the 2003 American League Rookie of the Year, Angel Barroa. Because Angel Barroa, when I think of Angel Barroa, he's just the guy that when a team had an infielder on the disabled list – They'd sign him, and then the disabled list injured player would come back, and then they'd DFA Angel Barroa. Then he'd sign a minor league deal somewhere else. Then he'd get a spring training invite somewhere else. He just bounced around forever. I didn't even know that he was a rookie of the year until I looked at it the other day. Just for me, just when I came coming of age in like 2003 and four to watch baseball, and he was around for all those years, got to represent those years and look at Angel Barroa and say, he went from a rookie of the year to like the 27th man for 25-man rosters. Looking at his stats in 2003, you know, pretty solid year. 17 homers, 73 RBIs, hit 287, pretty solid. He was hitting 091 less than five years later. Yeah. Bounced around at the Royals, the Mets, the Yankees, Orioles. Angel Barroa, my third round pick. I remember him on the Yankees. I don't, I don't really know if I can even remember him anywhere else. I just feel like he bounced around forever. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. He was um, out of the league by the time he was 31 years old. Yeah, yeah. He finished with a career one wins above replacement. But I'm trying to figure this out because I saw it, and it's very interesting. So he was number four on the Kansas City Royals from 2001 to 2005. 
Then he went to number 40 in 2006, and then back to number four with the Royals, all with the Royals in 2007. So I'm trying to figure out who the heck wanted number four on the 2006 Royals. And I, I what year did Al Gordon come up? <laughs> that was going to be my guess. Was he number, or was he number three? I don't know. I, I can't find numbers on the Royals. Who was even on those teams? Mike Sweeney, who's five, I think. Oh, that had to be like Mike Sweeney and Matt Stairs and like uh, <laughs> yeah, the second baseman with a really long last name. Oh, I don't remember. Um, I know who you mean. No, oh. um, so their their leader in war that year was Mark Tien. Um, yes. And then I think this might be the guy you're thinking of, Mark Grudzelina. Yes, Mark Grudzelina. Yes. He was yes. number two on that team for war <laughs> with 3.2. I'm trying to find out who the heck wore number four. I think I might have it. 2006 Kansas City Royals. It says Angel Barroa on this website I'm on now. Well, baseball reference is <laughs> always right, so you're wrong. It um, says, you said it was 2006? Yeah. Apparently, number 40 for the Royals in 2006 was Rune Elvis Hernandez. So I think he might have still been number four in that year. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if Rune Elvis Hernandez's name has ever been dropped on any other baseball podcast, <laughs> shout out to them because I'm willing to bet that this is the first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, David, we love the commentary. I. <laughs> the question shouldn't be where is Dontrell Willis in 2020. It should be where is Ronaldo's Hernandez. <laughs> Brad had to put his mic on mute because he's laughing so dang hard. <laughs> oh, that was oh, a good geez. <laughs> All right, so maybe baseball reference is wrong for once. I don't know. I just thought that was so weird how he would go back to number four. Like, who did they get on like a one-year deal? I don't. <laughs> All right, my next selection. Ooh, I'm going to have to go Will Myers, 2013 AL Rookie of the Year. Ah, <laughs> uh, freshman year, you know, I don't really know why he won. 2.2 um, wins above replacement. Let me look at the award voting for that because I – these stats don't even look that good. 131 OPS, sure, OPS plus, AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, it was between him and Jose Iglesias. Wow. So I guess that's fair. Actually, Jose Iglesias had a higher wins above replacement than him that year. But, yeah, so Will Myers, 2.2 wins above replacement, 98 hits in 335 at-bats, 13 homers, 53 RBIs, 293 batting average, OPS of 831. But, yeah, like I know he hit 30 home runs in 2017. I there's just so much more that I want out of Will Myers, and I'm not getting it. Last year, he was literally worth negative war. I Man, but there's so much more to be said about what Will Myers can do and what he's choosing to do. Do you remember when he was coming up as a shortstop with mm-hmm. the Royals? And he, yeah, he was supposed to be like the next big thing. And now somehow he's like a real heavy first baseman, an outfielder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the prospect for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. The guy, he was traded to Tampa Bay from Kansas City for Wade Davis. (laughs) And then who did he get traded to for San Diego? I think that was the the offseason where Preller just traded for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Both Uptons. But, yeah, Will Myers, I I, – there's so much more – 
to be said. Okay, this is what the deal was. This was the three-team deal that involved Trey Turner and Joe Ross going to the Nationals and sent Steven Souza Jr. down to the Rays. Wow. That, 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 that's a win for the Nats right there. Um, <laughs> okay, wow. He was also involved in the deal that sent James Shields with Wade Davis to Kansas City. That's a – wow. A World Series winning deal. Or no, because Shields wasn't there when they won, but Davis was. Yeah, Davis got that strikeout to end it in 2015. Oh, uh, the Rays also got Jake Bowers and Rene Rivera, who I guess – of course, had some at bats. <laughs> uh, with my last pick, I am taking Jason Jennings because I have never heard of Jason Jennings until now. Uh, he was the 2002 NL Rookie of the Year with the Colorado Rockies, where he pieced together a 16 and 8 season, but he had a 4.52 ERA. So it sounds like. The Rockies must have been raking that season if he won 16 games with a 4-5-2. Rookie of the year voting that year, it was between him, Brad Wilkerson, and Austin Kearns for the top three. <laughs> Kearns. Um, and I remember those other two, but I cannot remember Jason Jennings for the life of me. Austin Kearns had a 4.1 war and finished third in the voting. Jennings had a 2.7 for comparison, and he pulled it out. So shout out to Jason Jennings. Well, looking right at his now. stats, I think what might have helped him was Jason Jennings' own hitting. The guy hit 306 with a 348 on pace percentage that year. Wow. <laughs> he was Otani before Otani. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 19 for 62 at the plate. Wow. Yeah. So how about that? <laughs> but yeah, I was looking at that, but I was like, I have some beef to pick with Will Myers. So I'm going to take Will Myers. <laughs> So yeah, that concludes the draft. But notable rookies of the year who have panned out. Oh, I don't know. Albert Pujols, Ichiro Suzuki, Ryan Howard put together a nice start to his career before the Achilles really messed him up. 2006 saw both Hanley Ramirez and Justin Verlander. 2007 saw both Ryan Braun and Dustin Pedroia, uh, both future MVPs. 2008 saw Evan Longoria. We're going to skip 2009. (laughs) Uh, 2010 saw Buster Posey, future MVP. 2011 saw Craig Kimbrell. 2012 saw another couple of future MVPs, Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. 2013, unfortunately, Jose Fernandez. Well, not unfortunately, they won. He deserved it. He had a (laughs) 6.6 war that year, but we'll never see how his career would have turned out. 2014, and, and really since 2014, the guys have been good. Jose Abreu, Jacob deGrom, Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant in 2015, Corey Seager in 2016, 2017 was Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger, 2018 Acuna and Shohei Otani, and of course last year was Pete Alonso and Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, so they hit more than they miss, but um, yeah. when they yeah. miss, they do miss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Angel Barroa, career war, one. <laughs> 1.0. That's, uh, yeah. Number four, not 40. (laughs) Yes. All right. We're going to move on to our trivia. So, who led Major League Baseball in 2012 in stolen bases? D. Gordon? No, not D. Gordon. That would have been my guess also. Um, (laughs) Just a guess? Venture a guess? I don't know. Because it's right past – it's like right after when Jose Reyes and Michael Bourne wouldn't have been good anymore. So, I don't know. I really have no idea. My guess would have been D. Gordon. 
Well, the answer is Mike Trout with 49. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw that on his rookie of the year because we were looking. I was like, let's just look at Mike Trout's stats just to marvel at that. (laughs) But I also bring this up because Mike Trout is now a member of the 300 home run and 200 stolen base club. And those stolen bases are mainly due to this season. He got a quarter of them in one season. (laughs) So I guess the only question really – that this brings about is how awesome is Mike Trout? All time great, very simply. <laughs> yeah, he, he's so awesome that there's nothing to even say. That, that's why people don't talk about it. It's just expected that he's going to hit like 325 with about 35 home runs and you know, make plays, steal bases, do everything. And it's just like, yeah, all right, whatever. Like, Mike Trout's at it again. Yeah, <laughs> the controversy. He's leading the league again in home runs this year with 16 already, yeah. which, if you think about it, in a 60 game season is a lot. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like, not just in baseball, but in sports as a whole now, people are just so – I almost feel like people would rather nitpick the really good players than appreciate them. So they're almost numb to how great these players really are in terms of, like, a historical context, you know? Like like in basketball, how great James Harden is as far as being an all-time scorer, but all people want to talk about is a flop or or, um, his poor defense, which isn't actually poor and stuff like that. So – that's just the thing I think in sports as a whole, but that's a whole tangent I don't need to go on. People <laughs> want to humanize them so badly that they can't take the time to appreciate the greatness. Exactly. I, I've had the pleasure of watching one Mike Trout game in person, and he hit two homers, made two amazing running catches, and for balls that I thought were doubles in the gap, and he caught them waist high. Like Mike Trout's amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go watch him live. <laughs> yeah. That's Jersey's own, Mike Trout. Yes, All sir. Right. All right, we're going to move on to the song lyric or movie quote of the day. I have mine. It's from The Doors and their song, Riders on the Storm. And the lyric goes, Into this world we're thrown like a dog without a bone, an actor out on loan, Riders on the Storm. Like a rap lyric. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The the original rappers. No. And, And I just thought this one was cool because... I like I said, we were six months into it. This is kind of how we're feeling right now. It's just dog without a bone. We're kind of just like, where, where, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> I don't know. We're just thrown into this world, and we, like we don't know what we're doing. So, <laughs> riders on the storm. We're just weathering it right now. Yes, we are. Couldn't have said it better myself. Shout out to Jim Morrison. So I'm gonna be a little less deep on this one. I'm gonna go with the fabled uh, John Cena. The time is now. Um, and off the album that went platinum and simply say it's the franchise boy I'm shining now because that can refer to our aforementioned all-time player who is shining very brightly in Mike Trout all right I like it franchise (laughs) I can't believe that John Cena went platinum (laughs) that might be my biggest takeaway from the night (laughs) Uh, that's a good one I like it I like it have you guys ever seen that prank you have to the prank uh, YouTube video call or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's an all-timer. That, that, that is the all-time YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what you got? Uh, I picked a movie quote today. I haven't done that in a couple episodes. His so. name is John Cena now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah, and it's quote. Zodiac, which follows Jake Gyllenhaal and his character as he tries to find the Zodiac killer. And at one point, he goes to the house of a guy who owns a movie theater because he oh, suspects 
or he suspects that the Zodiac Killer potentially worked at that movie theater and through some handwriting connections and things of that nature, he traces it back to the movie theater. But earlier in the movie, they established that the Zodiac Killer had to have had a basement in some way, shape, or form. And that's apparently rare because not many people in California have basements due to earthquake concerns. And they really harp on the not many people have basements in California part. So as Jake Gyllenhaal is in the home of this creepy guy who potentially worked with the Zodiac Killer, the guy goes to check on something and he says, how about we go check in my basement? And then for a second, time stands still and the camera po uh, points to Jake Gyllenhaal and he just murmurs to himself, not many people in California have basements. And the first time I heard it, my whole body just, I got warm, I got chills, and it's a really eerie scene. And uh, yeah, so this week I'm going to go with not many people have basements in California as, as my movie quote. God, yeah, the first time I ever saw that movie, it's like two and a half hours long. Great movie, but I made the mistake of starting that at like 11.30 p.m. Yeah, not so great. So by the time that scene came around, it was like one o'clock in the morning. I'm in a house in Southside by myself. And I'm just like, nah, I'm not sleeping tonight. Uh, it's that, one of the most terrifying scenes where nothing bad actually happens. Yes. The whole time you're just on edge. And I, I don't know, I, it moved me as a viewer. And, and that's why I think it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, he's like trying to run out of the house like the door's locked and he's like let me unlock that for you like <laughs> dude oh yeah that movie gave that yeah i'll watch it again but it's got to be 10 o'clock in the morning like enough time for me before bed to forget about it <laughs> <laughs> for anybody who hasn't seen it I, I recommend checking it out it's a great i love jake gyllenhaal uh, i think he does an awesome job in most of the movies he's in and that's one of my favorites it's a great one recording this right now in a basement very fit <laughs> You wouldn't be if you were in California. <laughs> Maybe. Not many people. Would be. <laughs> Potentially. All right. Here is the trending Twitter topic to bring it all home. This got trending on Twitter, which I thought was pretty fun. You got to choose one for your birthday dinner. Which one are you going with? Red Lobster, Applebee's, Olive Garden, or Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> Cheesecake Factory, no question. If Applebee's has that endless riblets and tenders and shrimp deal... I'm going Applebee's any day of the week. Pretty solid. Uh, it'll make you feel terrible off, uh, afterwards. It'll be the worst hangover you've ever had in your life. But um, I don't know. Applebee's I'll go with. Yeah, that uh, I was a staple of our college career. I was going to Applebee's <laughs> and just stuffing our faces, gaining two pounds for $15. <laughs> but yeah, I think – even with the lines that you're probably going to find there, I'm probably going to have to go to Cheesecake Factory. They have an endless menu, and I will order the same thing every time. Well, let's hear it. Chicken cutlet. It's, it's, the, chi it's, the, chi it's the chicken parm. Yeah. <laughs> it's the chicken parm. Spicy chicken chipotle pasta. Ooh, that sounds really good. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was fun. Um, I've never actually been to a Red Lobster or an Olive Garden. And I have no idea what they have. Other than the biscuits at Red Lobster, you're not missing anything. Okay. I also I have Red Garden guy. Okay. I'm not an Olive Garden guy, but if I do have a gift card <laughs> that is more valuable than what I'm paying for the gift card, I will go to Olive Garden. Here's my take 
on Olive Garden, if you live in New Jersey where there's a mom and pop Italian shop on every corner and you willingly go to Olive Garden, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> like I said, I'm only by. going there if I'm given like a gift card to go there. Like Sal <laughs> goes over in Maple Shade, man. I'll go there anytime I want an Italian, but yeah. David's David's right on that one. David's right on that one. <laughs> but and also in regards to Red Lobster, I also have like a rule. You don't eat seafood unless you can see where that food came out of. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Welcome to new guest on the show. And yeah, great, gave a lot of great insight. So thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. David, as always, thanks for coming on. Blow me the thank kiss you. and I think it's time to end it. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>